I'd like to lay out a uh, couple of scenarios, and I want you to think about who you'd like at your side in these situations. Let's say you've been invited to participate in the amazing race in the Amazon, and you can take one person with you. Who would you choose? I know everybody in the youth ministry would choose Alex Muller, because whatever you might need, he'll have in a backpack somewhere with him. Let's say you're lying in bed, and there are only a few moments of life left in you, and your body's about to shut down. Who would you like at your side? Or your life's over, and at Judgment Day, Noah tells everybody, okay, everybody buddy up and come up to the throne two by two. Who do you pair up with? Let me give you a little different scene. Um, Let's say now you're riding a subway in Manhattan, and it's very crowded, standing room only. It's so crowded you can't reach anything to hold, except for the person next to you. And what's that four-mile ride beneath the streets, through all the stops and turns? What's it going to be like? With no handle, where's the stability? And when have you felt like life has been that way? Fast-moving, crowded, quick turns, sudden stops and no strap to hold. You're getting tossed around all over the place. Life kind of seems like this the past couple of years, doesn't it? Believe it or not, there's a message in the Christmas story for us when life is throwing us around. Let's read Matthew 1 again. Listen carefully. This is how the birth of Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but they came, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Have you ever wondered why the angel gave Jesus two different names? Jesus and Emmanuel. Joseph, you're to name him Jesus. And then referencing a line from Isaiah, they will name him Emmanuel. Names are really important in the Bible. Uh, God changed Abram's name to Abraham in Genesis 17 when he confirmed his covenant with him. Uh, Abraham means the father of many. Jacob and Esau, those were twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob meant deceiver, and he certainly lived down to that calling. Esau means red and hairy. The Bible says his whole body was hairy like a garment. I think Esau means only a mother could love. In Hosea's story, the name of his kids are descriptive of Israel's relationship with God, but also descriptive of the pain in Hosea's family. His second child, a daughter was named Lo-Rama, which means not loved. And God was sending a message to Israel of how he felt about them. And the same feeling was the experience of Hosea's own heart. He felt unloved by his wife, Gomer. The next child's name was Lo-Ami, means not my people. God had rejected Israel. He said, I am not your God. And for Hosea, he realized he wasn't the father of this child. Uh, you remember uh, Jesus changed 
Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. I mean, the names are in the Bible are significant. And God is definitely communicating an important message to us by these names he's giving his son. Jesus, or Yeshua, means the Lord saves. And Emmanuel means God with us. At what moments in your life have you needed to know that God is with you? When have you been confident of his presence? Or when have you experienced Jesus as a savior in your life, saving you from something you know you needed saving from and saving you when you had no idea you even needed to be saved? We usually think of salvation as being safe from something. Someone comes and pulls us out of a traumatic situation. I mean, how many times has Tom Cruise saved the world from imminent disaster on the big screen while on an impossible mission? According to John Eldridge, most women want to be rescued by a warrior, a hero, and every man wants to be a rescuer. That's why Tarzan and Jane got along so well. They were just doing what they were made to do. Maybe you've been saved by having a test you weren't ready for, pushed back to Monday. Maybe you've been saved from a job you thought you wanted, but in the rearview mirror you see that would not have been a good move for you at all. Sometimes we're saved simply from the way things are. We often think of salvation as our being with God in some magical uh, protective bubble. When we're on his team, the winning team, and he's, he's going to save us from the world. But think about these two names for God's son, Jesus and Emmanuel. The God who saves is the God who's with us. Salvation is not about our hard-fought efforts at climbing out of the worldly slime and jungle and finding God at some peaceful, serene valley by a stream. Salvation is God's descent to those he loves. Jesus climbs down from heaven and into the slime and into the jungle, and he finds us. He comes down to our level, and he walks the streets with us. He eats lunch with us. He fishes with us. He pays taxes with us. He goes to funerals with us. He cries with us. Jesus doesn't come to save us from the hard, painful, unfair conditions of our culture. He doesn't save us from the grief and broken hearts and injustice, but Jesus does enter every one of those experiences with the intent to find us there. He saves us by being with us. That's why his name is Emmanuel, and that's why his name is Jesus. He doesn't save us from the hard things that happen here. We know that's not how this works. That can't be what having a Savior means. Saving us from any difficulty or discomfort can't be what the name Jesus means. We know too much to even lean in that direction. We've seen too much. We've, we've heard too much. Tell that to the people in Florida or in eastern Kentucky who, whose homes were destroyed by flooding or by a hurricane. Tell that to the people who've had to flee their homes in the Ukraine. Tell that to the third grader whose parents decide to call it quits. Or the family who lost their source of income from a small business during the pandemic. Or the teenager who's getting drilled at school every day because they're just not like everybody else. Or the mother whose child was hit by a stray bullet while playing in the front yard. We know too much to think Jesus has come to save us from the tough stuff that life throws at us. When you were young, do you ever remember um, being lost, maybe in a crowd or in a store, three or four or five years old? It's a horrible feeling. There's this immediate rush of anxiety. One moment, your mom's right there beside you, and then 
And then this incredibly tool, uh, cool toy grabs your attention, so you, you head that way. And after you've seen enough, you look around, and now your mom's nowhere in sight. Right there, in that store, that crowd, and even that toy you had to inspect suddenly becomes very scary to you. And you want to be rescued. You long to be saved from that feeling of lostness. When you're reunited with your mom and the fear goes away, did she really save you from anything? She saved you mostly from being alone. Having her at your side in that store makes all the difference. I'd like you to be honest for a moment with yourself. In pressure situations, in a crisis moment, in a painful circumstance, during a season filled with questions and doubts, what do you honestly expect from Jesus? Emmanuel, what do you expect the Savior to do for you? Do you expect him to make it all better, like a mother's tender kiss on a boo-boo and a Superman band-aid? Do you expect the easy road with no U-turns, no uh, roadblocks, no, no bumps? Do you expect all your questions to be answered? Is a pat on the head from the Almighty and to hear him say, all better now, is that honestly what we need? Nowhere in our Bible will we find a promise from God that he will beam us up and out of hard times. In fact, his word says just the opposite. In James 1, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Hebrews 12, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone goes through discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not a true son. James 1, consider it pure, or excuse me, Matthew 10. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's a rough one to read. All men will hate you. Hate me, hate you. James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. If God has come to save us from trouble, how to resolve the reality of persecution? Uh, you know, it's, it's always been going on. Too often, brothers and sisters in Christ who live in hostile, hostile countries pay the ultimate price for their faith. Millions have paid the ultimate price for their decision to follow Jesus. For many years at Gulf Coast Getaway, that's a a worship event for college students that we participate in here um, down at Panama City Beach. For years at that event, we've had a representative from Voice of the Martyrs who set up a table. His name is Peter. And much of what they share is truly hard for me to understand. I have never been persecuted because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't have a single friend that I know very well who has either. Not, not truly persecuted. Every day, 13 Christians across the world are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned. Every day, five Christians are taken hostage. More than 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith. One in eight Christians worldwide face persecution. Two out of five in Asia, one in six believers in Africa, 
Here's a list of the top countries where it's the hardest to follow Jesus. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, India. The message of the gospel in these countries certainly isn't follow Jesus and all your troubles will go away. How do we resolve the reality of martyrdom? The promise of salvation is not about a pain-free, trouble-free, earthly living. Craig Barnes writes these words. In the moment in which we feel abandoned by both our dreams and the God we thought would save them for, for us, in precisely that moment, we are ready to receive God's true salvation. It is then that we discover that God wants to save us. God wants to save us, not our dreams. I'm not sure I understand all that this author means. These are pretty powerful words, it seems like. But this may be exactly what somebody needs to hear today. I know that each one of us can relate to our dreams being crushed or broken or unrealized and, and wondering where is God in that experience. Well, he's right there with us. He's saving us, not necessarily our dreams. He's Emmanuel, and he's Jesus. Isaiah shouted out to God one day, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, if you would tear the heavens open and come down. And one day God did. And his name was Jesus, the God who saves. And his name was Emmanuel, the God who is with us. I'm not sure if we can honestly, honestly grasp the cost of God answering Isaiah's request. The incarnation is the story of love. Let me tell you about a fellow named Joseph de Wuster. In 1873, he moved to Kalawao, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii, a village which had been appointed as a leper colony. Joseph de Wuster, better known as Father Damien, moved there when he was 30 years old after he learned the need for a priest to serve the 700 victims of leprosy in that village. He learned their language. He built houses. He constructed a water supply system. He, he organized schools and bands and choirs. He built 2,000 coffins with his own hands so that when his friends died, they could be buried with dignity. He helped people no one else would touch. This is what was written, written about him. Slowly, Kalawao became a place to live rather than to die, for da Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from the people that he loved and served. He was not careful about eating from the same bowls. He was not careful when he bandaged their wounds. He was not careful about washing his hands all the time. He got close, and the people grew to love him. And then one day, he stood up, and he began his sermon with these words, We lepers. Over time, he was not careful, and he became one of them. At first, he chose to live as they lived, and now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. Father Damien, Father Damien died in 1889, 16 years after moving to Colorado. From the beginning of John, we read these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. One day, God came to earth, and he ate with us, and he built furniture and houses, and he read the same books, and he prayed to the same God, and he was there with the crippled and the sick and the grieving and the dying, and he was not careful about keeping a safe distance. 
He went to weddings. He went to parties. He went to the temple, all the places we were going. He just, he wasn't just helping us. He became one of us. He was in our skin, and now we're in this together. And Jesus' last words end with the promise only Emmanuel can make. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus arrives from heaven as Emmanuel, and he returns to heaven as Emmanuel, and his promise is to be with us from the beginning to the end. But, but what does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean Emmanuel will smooth out all the rough spots in our roads, and it doesn't mean our kids will have straight A's and straight teeth. It doesn't mean people we love won't lose their jobs, won't lose their health, won't lose their minds. Just about every wedding ceremony I've done ends with these words. Many of you who are in here, when I did your wedding, I ended your, your wedding with these words. Every person is in need of one faithful friend who will look them in the eye and say, I will never leave you. You may grow old and gray, but I will always love you. The years may be cruel and the times may be hard, but I will always love you. It takes a mighty strong covenant to hang with someone, to love them, to never leave them for a lifetime because we can all be pretty ornery to live with at times. But that's the promise Jesus makes. That's the promise Emmanuel makes. He will be at our side coaching and guiding and leading and pushing and loving. He knows what we need. He knows, he knows how much we need. He knows when we need. He knows how to deliver what we need. He will never leave us, which means we will never be, what, alone. Perhaps the central promise in the Bible, and definitely the most frequent promise in the Bible from God, is simply, I will be with you. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned or needed forgiveness, they were promised God's presence. The same promise came to Enoch, who walked with God, and this promise was made to Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Mary, Paul, many others. The promise kept people going in seasons of darkness, in times of hopelessness, and it kept them going when all seemed lost. The clear message for us to hear, God loves to be with the ones he loves. God gave Israel the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, manna, water from a rock, this pillar of fire. He gave them a beautiful, ornate, one-of-a-kind temple. And these gifts along the journey were like post-it notes saying to Israel, don't forget, I'm with you. I'm right here. You'll never be alone. And then we hear his name when the Messiah is born, Emmanuel. And finally, when he returns to heaven, his promise is the same. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And then at the end of the age, here's what John's revelation reveals. And I heard a loud voice from the, vo from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Before we finish up this morning, let's take a look at a very familiar psalm with the promise that God will never leave us as the backdrop. I invite you to close your eyes as I read this familiar psalm, Psalm 23. And I want, with your eyes closed, if you choose to do that, to try to catch the beautiful and tender images in David's poem. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (coughs) These words are commonly read at at funerals, and, and that makes sense because this psalm describes God's ministry of presence. Ken Baxter taught me about that during his days of being a shepherd. The ministry of presence happens when you just sit with someone. You simply stay near. Stay near. You don't come with explanations. You don't try to prove anything. You're not here to argue or convince. You simply offer your presence, a presence that dispels loneliness, a presence which assures and affirms love. As much as we love Psalm 23, Psalm 23 offers no promise of an easy life. David only says, the Lord will help me rest and he'll, he'll restore my soul when, when through whatever's going on. There's no guarantee that the path will be smooth. David says the Lord will lead us on paths of righteousness. There's a righteous path and an unrighteous way to travel. The righteous path is usually more difficult. That's the one we travel with the Lord. The psalm doesn't say we'll not have to deal with disease or death, but David does say when those kinds of experiences happen in our world and in our family and to us, we don't have to be overcome with fear and anxiety, with anger or frustration or doubt or confusion, because God's presence is here to comfort. There's no promise to change the circumstances as painful as they might be, but there is a promise to comfort, to soothe the hurt. David didn't expect God to get rid of his enemies. He writes about him being right there with them. But he does say the Lord will give him what he needs to face them. The Lord will feed our souls and equip us for the battle. In verse 6, David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is all about the presence of God. That's what his promise is, Emmanuel, God with us. I read a cute little story about a little guy named uh, Blake Rogers. And he knows what it means to have someone with you. He knows what it means to not be alone. Blake and Miley were in kindergarten class together. And one day, Miley started humming in class. And her her teacher appreciated the tune, but it was a bit distracting. So she asked Miley to stop. But Miley didn't stop. The tune in her head demanded to be hummed. And finally, the teacher took decisive action, and she moved Miley's clothespin from the green spot to the blue spot on the chart, the dreaded blue spot. And that was not good, and Miley immediately became troubled. Blake, who's Miley's friend, tried to help. He gave her a pat. He made funny faces. He said nice things, but nothing worked because Miley still felt alone. Everyone's clothespin hung in the green except hers. Blake decided to make the ultimate sacrifice. Making sure the teacher could see him, he began to hum. The teacher warned him to stop. He didn't. He continued to hum. And she moved his clothespin from the green to the blue. And when the teacher did that, Blake smiled. 
and Miley stopped crying because she had a friend with her. This week, don't forget his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Remember his name when you feel like giving up. Remember his name when you feel like no one cares or understands. Remember his name when there are more bills than money. Remember his name when people aren't being so nice to you. Remember his name when deadlines seem impossible to meet. Remember his name when finals have arrived way too soon. Remember his name when being a caregiver is wearing you out. Remember his name when Satan tries to steal your joy. Remember his name, Emmanuel. And remember what it means, God with us. Don't forget his name and don't forget the promise. And remember that his name is also Jesus. The Lord saves. He will save you when you've lost your way. He will save you from making decisions which lead you away from him. He will save you in so many ways and what you'll only see in your rearview mirror. And he will save you from yourself. During this next song we sing together, take a moment to remember that Jesus is with us today. He is honoring his promise to the very end of the age. And if you feel like life is throwing you around and you need someone to hang on to, you need some stability, you need some help remembering Jesus' promise that he'll always be with you, let us know. We'll help you remember. We'll practice the ministry of presence in your life just to help you remember. Let's stand and sing.